Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at cleveland.com, hosting. And as every week, I am joined by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and cleveland.com. Terry, they used to say back in the day, it's hot off the presses. Yes. <laughs> but not anymore because everything is online. But uh, big news out of the Guardians today. Andres Jimenez has reportedly signed a seven-year, $106.5 million extension and it includes an option for the eighth year that could be worth up to $24 million. Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga, who cover the Guardians for us, are all over this. The entire contract could be up to $130 million, and apparently it's the largest pre-arbitration deal for a second baseman ever, and it's the second biggest contract ever handed out by Cleveland behind Jose Ramirez's contract last year. Uh, boy, this was kind of a surprise. Were, were you surprised? Maybe you weren't. I don't know. You were just out in Arizona. The Guardians do a great job of telling you that they're not going to talk about anything, and then they don't when it comes to contracts. They just flat out don't. Uh, I remember last year, the two big ones when I was there were, were Class A and Miles Straw, and neither of them were mentioned, uh, their contracts. This is very similar <clears throat> to what they did with Jose Ramirez. Uh, Ramirez uh, signed his extension in the spring of 2017. At that point, uh, Ramirez had been first came to the big leagues, actually late in the 2013 season, just played a little bit. And then 2014, um, he bounced between Columbus and Cleveland, same thing in 2015. So it was in 2016 he hit two, he batted 312 with, uh, by the way, 11 homers. So they still didn't really know what they had. They knew they had a pretty good hitter, but 11 homers. And then he signed, I forgot what it was, six years or something like that. Well, it's similar to Jimenez. In fact, if you look at Jimenez's stats for this past season, and Jose's in 2016, they're somewhat similar. Um, and that's a uh, uh, that's a really cool thing, too. So I don't know if he's going to end up being another Ramirez. But the odds of him be, being a pretty good player, I think, are, um, um, you know, I'd have given it to him, I guess is the bottom line on my mind. 
Well, Terry, I think this was a little surprising to me because it seems like they usually wait a little bit longer on some of these. I'm trying to think back to guys like uh, Kipnis and some others, but they, they had team control of Jimenez for like not just this year, but I think he was arbitration eligible next year and then two more years after that. So this they're, it, this is typical Guardians move, right? They're trying to get out in front of the market. And oh, sure. It, it's good for the player because they can lock into a good payday and they might be taking a little bit of a hit money-wise, but it's great security. And the Guardians get out in front of the market. And th- this just speaks volumes to how much they believe in Jimenez as the future at that position, doesn't it? I mean, or elsewhere, practic- I guess. Practical, <laughs> practical thing. You're, you're saying you're Andres Jimenez. You're from Venezuela. And... You're sitting there. You can't be a free agent for, I think it's five more years, something like that. That's a long time. 2027, yep. Yep. So you say, we'll give you $100 million. That's $100 million, and we believe in you. And it's very, you can even tell him, he's very similar to what we did with Jose Ramirez at the same stage of his career. Uh, in 2022, uh, Jimenez broke through at the age of 23. And in 2016, Jose broke through at the age of 23. Yeah. Ah. It's the same thing. Jose batted 312 that year. Him and his last year hit 297. Jose's uh, OPS was 825. Him and his 837. Jose hit 11 homers with 76 RBIs. And him and his had 17 homers with 16 RBIs, 69, 69 RBIs. Uh, basically, the numbers are the same. And at that point, really interesting, if you remember, yeah. Jose was playing all over the diamond. He played some second base. He played some shortstop. He even played a little outfield. So that was early in their career. And there are some people I know that told me last year when Jimenez started to hit some uh, hit some home runs that they said, because it was a baseball person that tipped me off about the parallels between the two. He said, now... You have to be a little careful with that because you're talking about one guy's on a Hall of Fame trajectory and, you know, not to say another. But what if this guy turns into a 20 to 25 homer guy with 80 RBIs and plays a gold glove second base? That's one thing. Jimenez is better defensively than Jose was at any of those positions. Um, I mean, one thing we need Jimenez to do, by the way, I forgot about this looking at his stats. He got hit by pitches 25 times. He led the American League getting hit by pitches. He would stand in there. Those sliders would come right in at his kneecap, and he would get hit. Don't do that. Get out of the way. So <laughs> the old Lenny Dykstra approach. <laughs> yeah, that does not bode well for you. I mean, he stole 20 bases, <clears throat> was caught three times, and uh, Jose stole 22. I mean, it's, the numbers are shockingly similar. Great stuff, Terry. So I want to ask you, you know how this contract stuff works, Terry. None of it happens in a vacuum. And money that goes to one player is money that doesn't go to another. Mm -hmm. What does this mean for Ahmed Rosario's future with the team? And 
Paul Hoynes has been reporting that they've been trying to work out something with him as well. He's a restricted free agent after this season. He's making, I think, $7.8 million. He's 27 years old. Has given the Guardians great hustle, great leadership in the locker room. Played a, a good shortstop, despite being yanked around between shortstop and the outfield early in his time in Cleveland. Uh, does no, this not early that? in his time. Not early. <laughs> a year ago, he opened yeah. in left field. That is true. <laughs> I mean, like, this like guy, yeah. In fact, when I talked to Chris Antonetti, because we talked for a long time for the profile I did with him and others, that, you know, they love Rosario. Um, I don't think there's a big parallel in terms of how this impacts it, because they would probably only sign him to maybe like a three-year extension or something like that. I'm talking about Rosario. So the contract with him and his is probably, you know, back loaded they'll give him and as maybe a couple million dollars up front and then it uh you know the payout is coming later i don't see them giving rosario you know 100 million for five years or something like that i would be shocked if they did that and they probably just said what do you want it you know you want to uh, stay here for a couple of years and see see what you could get because yes yeah, some short stuff's got a lot of money but others didn't you know you Rosario reminds me of, he's like a, a higher model of Rajay Davis. And by that, I mean, you look at uh, the stats and analytics people don't like Rosario. They just get hung up on, he doesn't walk that much. His OPS isn't as high as it should be. They don't see him play. They would say the same thing about uh, Rajay Davis. And then when he's on your team, the players... The manager goes, we love this guy. He, you know, he goes through a wall. He's there every day. He's talking to the younger players. Um, then the analytics guys come back and go, what do you mean you love the guy? He walked 25 times and struck out 111 times. Who need, you can find guys that could do that. You know, his OPS, 715, that's ah, okay, but it's not great. You know, it's like, uh, give it a rest. Uh, he's a ball player. And so then you sit down and, and there has to be a way of saying that gently to his people. I'm talking about Rosario's agents that, look, we value him probably more than other teams. So, you know, you could go out there and I grant it takes only one team to give the money. But, you you know, here in New York, he was not happy the last few years because he was viewed as a top prospect who didn't pan out here. He was viewed as the guy that was a oh, big yawner in the trade. And you go around and like, oh, we love the guy. And think about this. This is the Lindor deal. Absolutely. So here's where I'm going with all this, Terry. When the Lindor trade happened, there was some chatter that Jimenez was the shortstop of the future yes. for this franchise. And could this move today be seen as insurance in case the Ahmed Rosario stuff doesn't work out where they could slide Jimenez over to short? And, you know, if you're if you're if you're a Rosario and you look at all the money that these shortstops got paid this summer in free agency and you're 27 years old, mm -hmm. like a two year deal from Cleveland versus a four year deal from, you know, they would take you into your early 30s at much more like he might not be here next year. And do you think this is. This contract could be insurance for the Guardians. All right, if we need to make this move, we get a great short uh, shortstop, young shortstop, and the money they're paying Jimenez is a great deal for a shortstop, like a pot, you know, a, a good MLB shortstop who's young. I don't know. I'm just trying to think how the pieces might 
fit here? And if, if you think that there's any insurance potential no, in that, uh, David, or is he going to stay at second base? Yeah, because he's a gold glove winner. They think he's. An, they thought he's a good shortstop. They think he's just an exceptional second baseman. And they have shortstops on top of shortstops. Yeah, they got Arias, who played very well all spring. They have Rocchio, who's my. By the way, that's Roberta's new Quan guy is Rocchio. Remember, she does now. He's a he's a he's a top ten prospect in, in the system. You know, she doesn't know that. She just goes to games and picks guys. And so, but I can see why. You know, he he's he moves. Uh, he's, he's just so fluid and 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 uh, plays with a lot of vigor. So you've got those two, and you've got Angel Martinez, and they got all these shortstops. They figure between that group, um, they'll find one. And you know, if you need to go play him and as a short, you can do it. But that, that's not in the, in the plans. You're correct. I mean, there's a lot of money that went to shortstops, but I'm just telling you, it's a very. I talked to some people from other teams that. They're just like they yawn about uh, Rosario. They just do. Um, so and I think you're right, Terry. I think he likes it in Cleveland, and yeah. he, he likes the way he's appreciated and mm-hmm. and the way that the culture or the organization, and uh, you know, he's spreading the word that this is a good place to play. So yeah, I it mean, he, either way, it wouldn't surprise me if he stayed. And they're or still went, talking him up this spring. I always kind of pay attention on that. Um, so, I mean, he is remarkably consistent in what he's really done. And you could go even to his last year with the Mets, where they played 162 games. So his last year with the Mets, that would have been 2019, he batted um, 27, excuse me, yeah, his last year with the Mets, he batted 287, and then in Cleveland the two years, 282 and 283. His OPS, 755, 730, 715. I mean, it's just, you just could write it in 15 homers, 11 homers, 11 homers. You could just write it down. He doesn't walk and he strikes out about 120 times. And they, those people don't like that. He st- steals 19, 18, 19 bases. I mean, you just know what he's, Francona loves that too. I just put him down there and, you know, he wants to leave the American League in infield hits. And, he, and he'll be right there again this year with that. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Terry. Um, the other big news that came out of Guardians camp this weekend was, of, boy, the, the pitching rotation seemed like it was all set going into the season this week. And then Tristan McKenzie tweaks his arm. He's, he's going to be out up to eight weeks with a strained terrace major muscle in his right shoulder. He was pitching against the Reds on Sunday. He was going to pitch Friday against the Mariners in the second game of the season. And now he can't. Guardians made some moves today. They have added Hunter Gaddis to the rotation. He's going to start that game Friday. And Xavier Curry has taken Gaddis's spot in the bullpen. So they added Curry to the roster and moved Gaddis into the starting rotation. How concerned are you about the Guardians being without Tristan McKenzie for potentially up to two months or not that big of a deal? What do you think? I think it's a big deal. Uh not only the Guardians, but most teams fall into the uh, turn that frown upside down most of the time when they give you these um, timetables on arm injuries where there's not surgery involved. I recall that they thought Bieber was going to be out like four to six weeks. It was three months. And 
their uh, Savali, they were always wrong in how long they thought he was going to be out with his variety of injuries. Because these guys with their arms, you know, they're cautious in bringing him back. And secondly, you don't know. It's a muscle in the back of his shoulder. And also McKenzie does have a history of some arm problems. So um, they're going to be very, very, I think, guarded with him. So then you take him out. You know, he was a guy that made every start last year. And you turn around and you then say, oh, Savali. I mean, I was there at the game. You got hit in the foot with the line drive. I mean, he said he's fine, but it's like stuff's always going on with that guy. And then Plezak, I just don't trust him as anything more than a fifth starter slash bullpen guy. Uh, Some of their best pitchers in the farm system are not quite ready to bring up. That's being Gavin Williams, Tanner Bibby. And uh, I mean, until Espino's out for something or other, I forgot what his problem is too. So you're into this kind of second category of prospects. As you mentioned, Curry made the team. Now the other guy in spring training along with Tim Heron, when I was talking to pitching coach Carl Wills, the other guy that Carl told me that was coming on like crazy. Nobody was talking about Cause I said, who are the two guys that you like in camp here that nobody's talking about? He said, Heron. And the other, he said, was Hunter Gaddis. And he said, boy, we asked a lot of that guy last year. Remember Gaddis had a game where he gave up five homers and just had, he, he said, we really kind of rushed him up and that he goes, he's coming around. He's got a really good arm and we like him, but, We'll, we'll see. Yeah, real how quick, the rest Terry Gaddis last year, 0 and 2, uh, with an 18.41 in his <laughs> in his two starts. Uh, the rest of the season, he was 8 and 6 with a 4.01 ERA in 15 games at Akron yeah. and Columbus, and 14 of those were starts. So I just wanted to. Throw yeah, that out it's just. Yeah. And he had the one game where he gave up five homers, and it was one of those where he he came up and. Uh, I also heard in that game, somebody thought they, he was tipping pitches. I don't know if that's true or not. Fit, tipping pitches means there's something in his his thing. I mean, he, he pitched seven and a third big league innings last year and gave up seven home runs. Yikes. Um, so we'll see about the guy. He was a fifth-round pick in 2019. So he's only throwing 250 minor league innings, you know, he struck out a lot. He struck out 340 in 250 innings in the minors. So um, who knows on these guys un- until they pitch. But, you know, McKenzie and uh, Bieber, they're your two big-time starters. A guy I wouldn't mind them signing an extension to, um, I don't know what his, where his agent is, and that is Quantrill, who I think has been very much uh, – underappreciated here he makes his starts um he just uh you know you could just count on him i mean he he sort of he, he doesn't have any one dominant pitch he throws mostly a uh a sinker i mean he's a guy now you know since he's come to cleveland he's 23 and 8 with a 311 era and you know the people get on the record they say well records are deceiving and that okay we'll throw it out 311 era and he struck out uh, – they don't like it because he doesn't strike out a lot. I thought about the analytics guys. 262 strikeouts, 350 innings. You know, my view is he's a sinker, ball pitcher, gives up a lot of ground balls. Um, and uh, I just think he's good. 
So and he's making I think five point five million this year, and he's got two more years of team yes, control. Yes, exactly. This one so it'd be a perfect agent. time. So the timing, to say, you look, think, is right. Yeah. Another one of these guys. He was a hot prospect. He was a top pick for San San Diego. They became so discouraged with him, they put him in the bullpen. Cleveland trades for him, and I was looking, and they, you know, you, when he came up with uh, San Diego in 2019, he was six and eight with a 5.16 ERA. Um, and they decided, nah, we think he's really more of a bullpen guy. And so when Cleveland traded for him, that was right at the end of the COVID year. He, he, he just pitched in relief a couple of times. But I remember talking to Antonetti and Chris saying, no, 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 this guy's a starter. He goes, he's got just a little bit we need to tinker with, but we can get this guy to be a really good starter. We, we didn't trade for him to pitch in the bullpen. He goes, this is a starter. So they have um, – extreme confidence in their ability to take pictures and fix them. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Because the other guy they thought they could fix in that trade was that guy Logan Allen. Remember him, a lefty? Not Logan T. Allen, who's in the minors <laughs> the one still with still here, Logan yes. Allen. They were not able to fix that Logan Allen, but they did fix Quantrill. And, of course, in their view is give us two of them and we'll fix one. And – yeah, you're right, Terry. We've seen them do this time and time again. It's it's just you don't want to have to do it going into the season. Like mm-hmm. the, the season's long enough already, and now they have to do it from the jump. But if anybody so, can figure out, they can. Yeah, so. they can. And and just to, there'll be somebody coming up from the minors that we won't anticipate uh, as a pitcher too, because I don't think anybody at this point a year ago was talking about Xavier Curry or Hunter Gaddis making a team a year later. I know I wouldn't. I don't remember them ever mentioned in the spring of 2022. I don't remember Tim Heron ever mentioned in the spring of 2022 who's made the team. So, um, and as as they proved last year, bringing 17 guys up for the first time, they're not afraid to throw them in there and see what happens. All right, Terry, you know, we like to, when news breaks, we like to go with it right on the podcast as soon as we can, but we're going to scoop the website here. We're going to put you on the hot seat. What is your prediction for the 2023 Cleveland Guardians for their – I don't know if you want to predict the playoffs or just regular season record. I'm just, where, where the do you regular season's hard enough because <laughs> you're talking about a different um, uh, schedule. Remember, they don't play the, the heavily weighted Central Division schedule anymore. They're playing everybody's more or less equal. Uh, so they're old 92 and 70 last year, and that's central weighted. Of course, people said, <laughs> I think I had some strange emails from some fans. Well, you know, they had that really good record because uh, they displayed in the central division. Now that's all changed. And I feel like saying, oh, I get it. So like Minnesota and Chicago, the two, they, they'll be playing the, the old schedule and Cleveland will be playing the new one. <laughs> now they're all playing the same schedule. It's just been changed. So, but I, I agree with their general premise of the odds of them winning 92 games. I would say remote. I just don't think they're going to come in that high at all. So I've got them. I keep writing, writing down 88 or 87. I'm going to go with 88 and 74. Uh, and they win the central division with that kind of a number because it all goes down. Everybody's going down on uh, the win total in that division. That's a great point, Terry, and I, I'm, I'm going to come in at 87 wins. I'll go one below you. I just think there, there's some question marks here going into the season. They always start slow. Zanino's yep. health is is kind of a, up in the air. 
Um, they're working him back slowly. I, I just, I think that's, I think you're spot on there. So I'm going to go 87 wins. So, yeah. It, it, and that might be good enough to win the division too. I, I'm not for sure. I mean, the blessing also they had last year was Tony La Russa managing the white, white Sox. I mean, they had a bunch of injuries, but you're a Chicago guy. I just thought it was, it was just an incredibly stupid idea to do that with the uh, yeah, the whole season for the White Sox was kind of just well, a mess. What was Larusa seventy four years old or something? I'm, yeah, you know, I could I could say that I'm on Medicare. I'm allowed to say somebody's <laughs> old. This is not age discrimination. This is common sense. Well, you there's know. plenty of people managing and coaching at that age that do an outstanding job, but he he didn't. So it's more no. about the performance. And he had been out of the ball the whole time too. That's the other thing. Remember, he had been out for several years in the front office and advisor roles. It wasn't like he keeps man like Dusty Baker just keeps managing year after year. Dusty Baker's like Methuselah. I don't know how old he is. It doesn't matter. He's <laughs> in the dugout. He does a great job. But uh, and he's smart enough. Same thing like what Francona does now. Tito sixty three to use his coaches and the front office keep an eye on their guy. They keep telling him, no, no, you do the big picture stuff. You take care of the people. You know, we don't need you going out there doing these other things that are, are going to make it harder. I mean, interesting thing, like what the uh, Guardians do, just to even help Tito, they'll send us an email about every eight to ten days, and they'll say, we're giving Tito the media day off before the game today, and Mike Chernoff will you know, be handling the questions or something like that. It does two things. One, it, it allows the front office to step in, in case there's some questions about that. And two, it just gives the guy some time off. I don't yep. know why other teams don't do that stuff, by the way, but the Guardians do a don't lot notice. of stuff. Yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say the Guardians do a lot of stuff that yeah, other teams should do. Yeah. From analytics on down to other stuff. To, but... to even media things. There's nothing wrong with having your GM come out every few weeks and just sort of pinch hit. All right, Terry, let's take a break. Hey, you know, a lot of people don't know this. Dusty Baker is 73. His toothpick is actually 74. Little known fact. So. <laughs> let's take I a mean, break. He, we'll come back. He's Methuselah. I mean, he'll be like 98. And it's, he's got the energy in that. But he'll tell you he's not managing like when he was 58 or 48. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to get into the playoff-bound Cavaliers um, and why we should appreciate what they have done. Uh, a lot of news coming out of the Browns this week in Arizona. Um, Jimmy and D. Haslam have been speaking. We heard from Kevin Stefanski uh, about the state of the franchise. And we've got some really good Hey Terry questions this week. Uh, Terry, including one about comparing these calves to the calves of the Price Doherty Nance era. So I want to get your take on that. All right, we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into the Cavaliers. They are 48 and 28. They have clinched a playoff spot. They stand fourth in the East, the first playoff spot 
without LeBron James since 1998. And I was laughing because in Chris Fedor's postgame coverage after Sunday night's win, uh, the players in the locker room, I think it was Jared Allen, was asking everybody, how old were you? In the yeah. last time the Cavs made the playoffs without LeBron in 98, and some of the guys weren't born. Some of them were, I think, two years old, mm-hmm. uh, just to show you how long it was. But I thought you had a wonderful column about fans should appreciate how hard it was to do what the Cavs have done. And I know you tied it into the to the game against Houston on Sunday. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Because we saw this challenge recently not just this past few years and LeBron left time too, but when LeBron left the first time, uh, they were struggling. In fact, the year four of LeBron's departure, I think they won 33 games with Mike Brown. But 33 I, and 49, yep. I was still not very upbeat about that being a team that was going to uh, get much over 500 or anything of that sort. Uh, they did have Kyrie Irving and they did have Tristan Thompson. Uh, but Kyrie Irving, by the way, at that point, fans may not know, was at war with Mike Brown because he was mad that Mike Brown wanted him to defend. <laughs> I mean, you want to come right Outrageous. down to it. He, Outrageous remember request. this. First of all, Mike Brown is one of the nicest guys in the world. So it wasn't like Mike Brown was, you know, belittling him or anything like that. But Mike Brown was very strict on, you know, how they are to play defense in that. And as I think that was the first sign of what was to come with Kyrie. And of course, then LeBron came in and he, he was able to, um, uh, you know, help uh, change that whole thing. I had one NBA person say to me, you know, LeBron's greatest achievement was, and I'm like, what, winning a title in Cleveland? He goes, no, keeping Kyrie on the rails for three years without him going off. He goes, look at it now. It's one of the great achievements in NBA history. And it is. I mean, by the way, Dallas, they're having all kinds of stuff go on. Okay, back to this. So, so the point was <laughs> they were going into year number five without a lot of hope, I may add, had, until LeBron came back, which then changed the whole dynamic. Uh, Houston, who they – to win the uh, uh, thing is, I, I don't know, I think they've won like 30% of their games. Um, and you could go on and on. How, by the way, you know, San Antonio is now on its fourth consecutive losing season with Popovich as the coach. You know, Popovich Hall of Famer. Hall of Fame coach. Yep. You can get bad Orlando, Detroit, get bad and stay bad. And they did it. Without a number one draft choice in the whole draft, they did it without a LeBron or some other major free agent coming in here. I mean, what free agent have they signed in this rebuild? Just no, guys. Nobody, nobody big. Like, it's been all small signings. Yeah, just like guys. Like mid-level exceptions and yeah, other guys. Yeah, just, yeah. Just guys. They did it all drafting and trades. They did it in Cleveland, so where supposedly nobody wants to come play. And they did it when the whole league, with the analytics in the whole league. And, and I do like stats when I say these things. I like stats, but people who are analytically driven have to be entering the human element of it. And the the analytics was all about you know everybody should be between six three and six eight for a while there in basketball, positionless basketball. Well, the Cavs looked at that and realized that 
yes, that's wonderful if you have a bunch of guys that are like LeBron James and Paul George and that. But what if you can't get them? So then you got a bunch of me. I mean, hey, Isaac Okoro is right in that that thing. He's six foot six, and he and you know I'm glad he's coming around, but he's more of a role player. But what if we could get a seven footer that nobody likes anymore, and do something with him? And basketball always favored tall people, until it didn't. But for decades, it favored tall people. Why? Because they're closer to the basket, you know. <laughs> And if you watch, take somebody who's five foot shooting the ball at the basket and somebody who's six foot five shooting the ball at the basket, it's simply easier for the six foot five person to to shoot the ball from 20 feet, actually, than it is for the five foot person because the, they're letting it go higher and that kind of thing. Now, there's always exceptions. So they did it by going big. They did it with Jared Allen and they and they did it by taking Mobley. Houston had a chance to take Mobley. Just think if they did, and the Browns, I mean the Browns, the Cavaliers ended up with Jalen Green. Green's got a chance to be a good scorer, but he's just running around out there with Kevin Porter Jr. and all these other guys, just jacking up shots and no accountability, and it would have been a mess. Jim Jones and I were talking the other day about that, and Jones thought the same thing. He said, um, as a former big man, you know, in the NBA, Jones said, you have to have a coach who values the big men or those other guys will just ignore you out there. Terry, I pulled, I want to just, I don't want to spend too long on this, but I pulled the top scorers from the 2013-14 team. <laughs> I just okay. want to run through it real quick. Yeah, please. Kyrie Irving, Dion yeah. Waiters, Lou Dang, Spencer Hawes was the fourth leading scorer on that 2013-14 team. Tristan Thompson was the fifth leading scorer, CJ Miles and Jarrett Jack, and then Andy Varejao after that. And then I pulled the 2018-19 Cavs, which was another team that you were talking about. They won 19 games. And the top scorers on that team, Kevin Love, Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Jetty, Rodney Hood, and Alec Burks were your top six scorers. Actually, I like that 19 team a lot better than the 14 team. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, I mean, granted, just to make you your point, been, yeah, it's, my, it's very easy to get to get stuck in spin your So you the sit NBA. there and you look around. Okay, so you find out. Um, that's what I'm. First of all, to to bring back to the fourteen team, uh, read those top four guys again. Okay, from the twenty thirteen fourteen team, you had Kyrie at twenty point eight a game. Yeah. Dion Waiters fifteen point oh, nine. Luol Deng fourteen point three. Spencer Hawes at 13.5 and Tristan Thompson, 11.7. Then CJ Miles. I remember to to tell you this. um, I know David Griffin took over in the middle of that season. They had fired Chris Grant because they were unhappy with that roster. Yeah. (laughs) That you're talking about right there. Yeah. So I recall that, um, David Griffin was telling me, he goes, I got to figure out how to at least get us up over 500 here. I mean, nobody knew LeBron. You, you always was hoping LeBron would come back, but, you know, nobody knew. So he had traded for Steve Hawes and, you know, as you said, the Jared Jack guys like that. They were just bringing guys in, hoping somehow to win as many games as you lose. With no thought of – I'm not talking about winning a title. No thought of putting together a team like we're watching now in Cleveland that has a chance to win 50 games and do it for the next several years. It's hard to do this. 
because as they will tell you, no big-time free agent is going to come here. LeBron is just an exception to, like, everything in basketball history just about. And, you you know, the problem is if you keep losing 18 or winning only 18 games, even if you're drafting in the top of the draft, like that, that draft of the moment with uh, – that Mobley was in. Cade Cunningham went number one. Jalen Green went number two. Mobley won three. I mean, there you are. Even if you look at the draft where they a gutsy pick really was Darius Garland, and you look at that, that, that was the uh, Williamson went number one. They knew he was talented, that, but everybody was worried about him getting heavy and getting hurt. The weird thing was Morant went number two where there were no bad stories about him uh, coming out of school at all. And now you go, like, what is with this kid? You know, he's dynamic player, but my goodness, that stuff was crazy. And then you went into, like, DeAndre Hunter, and I forgot who else. Um, they just – they nailed those draft picks at three and five. You could say, well, it fell to them, but it was not a given. Not a given at all that the, those guys are going to be good. Yeah, and you're right, Terry. They deserve credit for not messing that up. And they they, yeah. they, they played it all right, so – um, hey, I want to move along. We're running a little short on time, but I did want to ask you. So the Cavs are a game and a half behind the Sixers for third mm-hmm. place in the East right now. If the Cavs finish third right now, and the way things are trending, they would play the Nets. If they finish fourth, they would play the Knicks. Is it worth the Cavs trying to go for that number three spot? And they say they they say they want to, but from a matchup perspective, do you think it's better for them to face the Knicks or the Nets in the first round of the playoffs? They'll be a pain in the butt either way. Both of those teams. Uh, I give uh, Vaughn credit, who took over New Jersey, you know, from that mess with, with, with Durant and Irving and how he's had those guys hanging. He's got a bunch of tough role players, as we saw when those two games when the Cavs played them. I mean, they're probably – the Nets are probably a lesser team than the Knicks, but they are hard to play. So I guess the answer is it doesn't matter to me. Either way, it's going to be difficult. I I would like to see them go for that number three spot and try and play the Nets. I'll tell you why, Terry. I, I think those when the trades happened, it took a lot of air out of their sails. And they've lost six of their last seven. Yeah, There's, I didn't and realize you, that. And you talk a lot about who on the other team keeps you up at night. Yeah. You know, other than Bridges, like, I don't know that there's anybody in that team that's an offensive threat that keeps you up at night. And and you've been in New York in Madison Square Garden, Terry. People there are crazy for the Knicks. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that MSG crowd that when it gets behind the Knicks, and, weird and, stuff uh, happens sometimes. The, uh, I think it would be a tougher place for the Cavs to try and play. So th- that's just my initial thought. I'm there. having a uh, an old man's moment. He's he's basically the Knicks' best player. He's a left-handed shooter. He's about six foot eight. Oh, Randall. Randall, yes. Yep. I've always liked Randall. Randall actually has low post moves, that kind of thing. Barrett's come out actually turned out to be a better player than he thought he would. I didn't like I didn't like him coming out of school. Uh, I mean you're correct. The Knicks are are um, a tougher matchup. But I guess I'm just saying don't discount the the Nets. I know they've been struggling of late. Um, so we'll see. But either way, you know, I'm just really glad we're talking about this. It's so cool to see what has happened in Cleveland. 
sellouts, fun times at the, yep. at the arena every night. It's It's been a I memorable mean, one. And, remember, this is a league where, like John Morant, oh, John Morant, what was that? You know, or Irving. This is a league where guys demand to be traded in the middle of the season. Or, like, well, if Irving wants to be traded, I want to be traded too. You know, you have all that kind of – or you have guys, I'm just – I'm just going to go home. They have guys sometimes just go home. Or teams tell the guy, go home. By the way, I don't want to beat it to death because of what uh, he accomplished in Cleveland. But if you look at the numbers of Kevin Love in Miami, uh, it's more or less what we saw here. He's really been struggling. Uh, That is another move where the Cavs were probably correct uh, as a tough one. But... He's had trouble. His his shot, there's something wrong with it. It's a line. He's always a kind of a line drive, but it's really a flat-footed liner. And um, I was reading some stuff, too, out of Miami, and they're kind of – they're discouraged by that uh, pickup. Yeah, 15 games down there and 7.6 points per game, and he's shooting 38.8 from the field, Terry, and 29.6 on three-pointers. So yeah. not, not what he wants, but – Yeah, it's just um, – it's just like he just went um, now, whether well, there's a hidden injury in there, I don't know, but I don't think there's any reason, you know, people thought that suddenly he was going to click a switch and go back to being the guy who was a year ago. Now, when you look back at it, the anomaly was how Kevin Love played last season because the other couple of years before that were injury riddled. And then the injuries came back again this year. All right, Terry. Well, the Cavs are playing tonight in Atlanta at 7.30. Chris Fedor will be there covering that for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Then the Cavs are back home against the Knicks on Friday, and they are home Sunday against the Pacers at 8 o'clock. And then next week, I love this idea. I know we've talked about it. The back-to-back road, Mm -hmm. back-to-back in Orlando, Tuesday and Thursday, both games in Orlando at 7 o'clock next week. So I think that's one of the best ideas they ever had was back-to-back in the same city. So. All right, Terry, let's get into the Browns here. A lot of news coming out of the NFL owners meetings this week in Phoenix. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague who covers the team, is out there. And Jimmy Haslam and Dee Haslam were speaking to reporters, and they were asked, should this year be playoffs or bust? Well, I guess the word was, is there an ultimatum this season on Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski in the eyes of the Haslams in terms of make the playoffs or else? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it should be make the playoffs or else for this front office and coaching staff? Well, I divide the two up. Um, by that, I mean, let's see how the group of players that Andrew Barry brings in with this last um, free agency thing, let's see how they play. If they play pretty well, then I'm, I don't, I'm not interested in dumping general managers because David, you and I had a little discussion about this other day. When they change general managers, what does the new GM automatically do? Remake the roster. Yep, dumps a whole bunch of the players yep. because figures, well, if they fired that guy, they must not have, not have liked the roster. Clearly, there's some to be, because usually there's a problem if the GM is fired. Um, secondly, uh, I think this is a, it's a verdict on coaching, what we're going to see, because Kevin Stefanski is supposed to be the quarterback coach. And to Kevin's credit, when you look at from Case Keenum back in Minnesota to Baker Mayfield early on here to Jacoby Brissett, he's had far more hits than misses when working with quarterbacks. But, you know, in terms of pure talent, 
Watson's got the most. But I I was discouraged on what I saw from Watson. I have to watch this. This is one of those because I didn't like the trade. And this is a thing I even mentioned sometimes to younger media people. We have to be careful when we say the team we cover does something we do not like. Not to nitpick that player to death just to prove we're right. In other words, be overly critical of them. Nonetheless, um, I just was I was not real encouraged by what I saw from Watson. So this is a whole coaching thing. Can they get him fixed? Because they have all the opportunities now to um, OTAs, all that stuff, ready to go. Well, I don't want to go all hockey on you, Terry, but the, the Browns are kind of reminding me of back in the NHL in 2004, 2005, there was a lockout, right? And the players mm-hmm. got locked out. And that kind of was a line of demarcation in the sport. It went from like fighting, hooking and holding mm-hmm. and the old time hockey to the new speed, skill, not a lot of fighting era. And the guy who was in charge of my favorite team, the Blackhawks back then was a guy named Dale Talon. And they kept telling him like, hey, after the lockout, you better be, better be ready. The game's going to be different. You better be ready. You better be ready. And he didn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and he, they came out of the lockout and the Blackhawks were terrible for two years because they were behind and they didn't get it right when coming out of it. And then they did. They drafted these two guys, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, and they've won some Stanley Cups. And I, I think about that sometimes because I feel like that's what happened to the Browns last year. Like the, the Browns were convinced that the NFL's a passing league. We need to load up on corners and pass rushers. Mm-hmm. And what happened? Like old school football broke out yeah. in every Browns game and they were just completely caught unawares. And I, I do feel like getting back to my original question is like everybody's kind of had their mulligan there now. And mm-hmm. it's like the Haslam's are talking about Kevin Stefanski has learned a lot since he's been on the job. And Andrew Barry might have might have not set the roster up for success last year, even with the Watson thing with the defensive mm-hmm. line. You need to have guys that can tackle and get off blocks in your front seven. So I feel like they need to see substantial progress this year because these guys are in their prime and they got to get it right. And if it doesn't work, like they're going to have to decide to change. Right. And, not this year, to- next. and on top of that, they love to fire GMs and coaches uh, together. They, they, I cannot think of a time where the uh, Haslam's fired a coach or also dumping out the GM. They did keep Joe Banner around long enough to hire Mike Patton, but then they fi- they fired Joe Banner right after that, which is one of the more bizarre moves they've made over the years. Um, so you're correct on that. I will say that uh, I just I do think the most pressure is on uh, Stefanski and the coaching staff. Okay, so they they just spent fifty million dollars on Tomlinson to play on the line. They brought in a bunch of defensive tackles. They brought in you know. Uh, to get Bubba Ventrone and Jim Schwartz to come in here, they're paying big money for those guys. I can tell you that. And so they, they're making all those moves to see what happens. And, and by the way, you know, who else is on the line on this? It doesn't change their status because owners are owners and owners are owners. And that means they're owners and they could do what they want. But the, the uh, Haslam's put themselves way out on the line too, with this on their reputation with the Watson deal. Because if this thing fails, they look really, really, uh, I mean, basically you brought in a highly controversial figure that fractured your fa- your, fa- your fan base, 
gave him a, an outrageous contract, at least in the eyes of the rest of the NFL and most other people, and he doesn't play well. And it's ownership-driven. They can say whatever you want. Whenever you're bringing in a player with all that baggage, it is an ownership decision, even if every football person wants it done, because you're the one that has to deal with the public relations fallout in that. So I think that's another reason they're saying we need to get this done because our not our jobs are on the line, but in, in many ways their reputation is on the line here in terms of trying to finally get it right. I mean, that losing it every year and all the quarterbacks and all the coaches and all the GMs, and you're the one common denominator. Yeah, and I think Terry, the I think what the, Jimmy Haslam was trying to say, um, reading between the lines, was everybody's very results based, which yeah. is like playoffs or bust or whatever. But I think what he's saying, and we know this, we we've seen enough football. We'll know at the end of the season if this looks like this is on the yeah. right track or not. And I mean, there might, you know, if there's an injury or or a yeah. fluke play happens and they lose in the play, like we'll know. All right, this thing is is trending up or it's not. And I think that's kind of what they're saying is we'll know. Sure. They'll know too. They'll know too I mean, if they're set up I for mean, success or not. Yeah. Suppose they go 10 and seven, but for some reason miss the playoffs. Okay, fine. I'm, I mean, I'm good with that. And Watson looks like he's really coming around. Yeah. That's why you don't say playoffs are bust, but um, you better take that seven and 10 and turn that thing around. I'll tell you that you better flip those numbers. Absolutely. So, all right, we got some Hey Terry questions. Uh, we're running a little long here, but we're going to keep it moving. So, um, hey, before I forget to mention, if you want to send us a question or comment, you can send it to us at sports at cleveland.com. Just put Hey Terry or Terry's talking in the subject line, and we'll try and get it on next week's podcast. So, all right, you ready, Terry? Mm-hmm. This one is from Rich Smith in Columbus, Ohio, and he says, Hey Terry, in, in recently reading your vintage Cavs book, available at TerryPluto.com, I might add. (laughs) It reminded me of the Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance teams of the late 80s and early 90s, who I loved watching, and how that team was similar to the current Cavs team. Both teams have great guards and big men, played good defense, were well coached, and have good guys who are very much like each other. How would you compare the current Cavs at this stage of their development to the Wilkins Fratello coach teams of 30, 35 years ago? And again, that's from Rich Smith in Columbus. Thanks for that, Rich. Okay, the Fratello teams really, he came in as that team that the Doherty, Nance, Price group was in decline. So uh, th- basically he's excused from discussion there. Uh, but they were very similar. I would have loved to have seen Donovan Mitchell in the same backcourt with Mark Price mm. and go to war with the rest of those guys. They could have, maybe they could have eked out a championship. It's hard, In retrospect, it's hard to... Uh, wonder if anybody could have beaten Jordan and Jordan in his prime because he won six for six in the finals, you know, winning titles. But I do see that was a team that liked big men because Mike, the GM was Wayne Embry, a big man himself. And so he, you know, he had Nancy had hot rod and he had Doherty all six foot 10 or taller. And he would bring in guys like tree Rollins as for backup centers for size. And then you had, um, uh, I've always thought that there have been very, once Garland was in his second year and got going, that Garland is a modern version of Mark Price. Very, very similar. And um, the rest is uh, is there. The I will say, say this, you know, 
Mobley's going to be Mobley might even right now be better than Larry Nance, and he's going to be much better. He's just more. He's even more athletic. But wow, that's just like it, it really is. Just because uh, his passing is better, uh, he handles the ball better. I mean, we see now Mobley going, you know, full length of the court, and you don't go give it to a guard. You go, go for it. Go to the rim. What they can't stop you. Where Larry's uh, problem was, he he did not handle the ball that well. But in terms of shot blocking and all that, it's it's a fun question. And the big thing that Rich is getting to, and, and Rich by the way has written me for years and is is really a, a terrific uh, terrific fan that sees beyond the uh, the first level of stuff. He gets it. Uh, is is the the chemistry. Uh, Lenny Wilkins developed it. He came in here. By the way, the Cavs were dysfunctional when Lenny Wilkins took over. That was Mel Turpin and uh, Keith Lee and John Bagley and a whole bunch of other guys that were just, they were just a mess. And he came in with these young guys, much like JB, and he shaped them uh, into a team that just kept consistently was in the playoffs. And, and And you liked watching them play and they liked playing with each other. All right, uh, here's our next question. I think this will be the last one. It's from Andy Getz. Andy's from Denver. He says, hey, Terry, your colleagues at Cleveland.com had a podcast recently asking the question, will Kevin Stefanski, Terry Francona, or J.B. Bickerstaff win a title first in Cleveland? And, and uh, he says, what is your answer to this question? And Andy's referring to uh, Dan Lobby from our Orange and Brown Talk Browns podcast, kind of coordinated a cross-beat podcast project where they discussed this. So uh, Andy is wondering, Terry, which – one do you think would win a title first here? If you if you were to put them all in a, like one of those uh, model computer model things where everybody gets the same type of team and only those are the three people. I mean, Francona wins it because he's 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 gotten to the World Series uh, three times. He's won it twice. So with those other guys, you know, they they haven't done anything like that. Um, the rules favor the Browns. That's the other frustrating thing. The rules favor the Browns in winning a title because they're in the league where Green Bay could win a title. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what your market you're in, the NFL. It's, it matters how you do your job. But they don't do their job well. So they're they're guilty until proven innocent right now. And that's why I think where Jimmy Haslam was going with that. We have to begin to prove we're innocent. In other words, we have to produce, prove we're competent. Uh, the Guardians are competent. We just got to figure out a way to win where everybody gets seven, you know, the, the top teams get seven cards at the table, and we got five. We got to figure out how to turn our five into to knocking out their seven. And then in the middle are the Cavaliers. Um, and, you know, the Cavs could win a title. I don't know. I'll let you pick on this one, David, because it's yeah, it's, it's a, always it's a really hard. Good, it is because uh, the rules are different. But yeah. I, I just think the I just think the Cavs with JB, they have this young core, and I do think the NBA is set up where you can keep your own guys mm-hmm. long term, and money is not an issue for the Cavs. I mean, we look at the payrolls they had during the LeBron years; they went over the cap to keep the yep. guys together, and I just think this is set up. And you know how it is. Terry, you, the, the World Series, Guardians get there in 2016. It comes down to a pinch hitter in the bot. You know, you never know what's going to happen in baseball. I think the more cracks you get at it, and I think the Cavs are going to have more cracks at it. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Browns, there's so many great teams in the AFC just getting to the Super Bowl. 
is going to just be an incredible. How about getting to the playoffs? Yeah. I'm serious. How about no, getting to the playoffs? I know. I'm going back no, to no, the question, no, though. No, no, here we are. But this is a very important point, David. I mean, the, the Browns are talking about all this stuff. They've been to the playoffs like once since, what was it, 2003? Uh, no, not even that. 2002. You're right, 2002. Yep. Once. Yeah. They got nothing to talk about. Well, anyway, and I'm me, picking the Cavs in this question. Okay, and and <laughs> for that's for good. And and you're correct. Dan certainly will, will okay the budget to keep guys and and pay the luxury tax. Um, so that 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 allows them to to have that advantage. And, and just it's just harder for the Guardians. That's why you know you go back and you look at what happened in 2016, where you're up three to one on the Cubs and you don't finish the deal. Um, that really haunts the Dolans in this franchise. I think it real it, it would have changed the the narrative about um, him as an owner and it would have I'm not saying just allowed them to have a super budget but it, I, I just think it changed it, it was very costly to them in, in the long term. So um, it's a good question, but I'll tell you one thing in big games I know which of those three coaches I want. He's the guy that says he only has two pairs of jeans and his favorite place to eat in Cleveland is the ballpark. <laughs> That's right. He, he really do need to re- If you haven't checked story. out Terry's column on Terry Franco, <laughs> it was hilarious. Go check it out. It's a, it's a inside look at what makes him tick and uh, yeah. it's vintage Tito. So it is. And, and it's so genuine. See, that's why he, he's, he doesn't have a pretentious bone in his body. Everything. He is the, you know, the working class, Guy, I mean, he's a guy in the off season. He goes down. He lives in Tucson because he runs the University of Arizona, and he goes and hangs around. He loves loves basketball, especially college basketball. He hangs around the, the Arizona University basketball team, watches basketball practice, and talks to the coaches. And you know, he just I guess he's got to be around something with sports because for those two months, or there's no baseball for him, <laughs> so he's got to go do that. That's right. All right, Terry, um, again, if you want to send us questions, hit us at sports at cleveland.com. You can also find Terry on Facebook and he'll bring the question to the pot here and we'll get into it. So do you uh, have any, well, two things, do you have any appearances coming up? And also do you have a book recommendation for this week before we wrap well, up? A, there's no book and no appearances. So we're going <laughs> to let them, actually things are like on hold, I think till, till June or so. Cause I, I didn't, uh, I try not to schedule anything in the spring when I know the Cavs are going to make the playoffs because I don't want to run into to anything like that. So, so there you go. All right. Well, I will have a book next week. Sounds good. I'll try and bring something too, and we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of trade ideas. So, all right, everybody, enjoy the start of baseball season. March is awful in Cleveland. It's cloudy and rains every day, and it's 37 degrees endlessly. And uh, baseball's here, so that means good weather's on the way. Guardians start off uh, this week in Seattle and the home opener is a week from Friday. So it's all changing and we will talk to you next week on Terry's Talking.